And we're going to come to one of the just great, beloved texts in the book of Ephesians today, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. We're going to read it responsively. Um, I'll be the one, when the one, and the all will be like the book of Ephesians. Who's in the all? The all. So that will be all of us with the all. So let us stand because we're going to be hearing today uh, the word of our creator and our, uh, our heavenly father. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he may show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You know, that great passage of Scripture culminates with one of the most moving declaration in God's Word about you and me as followers of Jesus and about us as a church. Namely, it tells us we are God's masterpiece. I have something to show you here because our version said handiwork, which is okay, but the word really is an artwork. It's a poema is the, is the, the word. It's a work of art, a masterpiece of God created by its artist in Christ Jesus to do good works. So, so with, with those words, do you see it? God describes himself as a creative artist making a masterpiece in this world, a masterpiece that somehow specifically is supposed to go out and do good works. And that masterpiece is... <laughs> yeah. I thought you'd answer Jesus, because my questions always are answered that way. It's us. We're, we're the masterpiece of art. So with that in mind, this whole image of a masterpiece, did you know that according to the Fine Art Expert Institute, F-A-E-I, in Switzerland, well over 50% of the art masterpieces that are currently circulating in the market right now are thought to be forged or faked. Some people say 70 to 90%. 
So a, a number of things have been done. A lot of work has been done to try to help art collectors to be able to discern the difference between the real art and, and the fake art. And one of the instruments that's now being used is called the Bruker X-ray fluorescent, the uh, XRF. So I thought I would just show you a little clip of that XRF. We brought a bunch of artist palettes out of the Whitney Gallery of Western Art um, closed storage uh, for examination here in the Conservation Lab. So any of these um, clues that you have to how an artist worked helps you determine um, whether a painting is really by that artist or by someone else. So conservators are just now really coming into using the XRF because this portable kind of XRF is fairly new to conservation, maybe five years old. It shoots out an X-ray beam into something and that excites electrons in the elements and then they also emit a specific X-ray for each element. So you can tell if your painting has iron in it or um, zinc or lead. Now it's interesting for us to, to use on paints and paintings and sculpture because if something has cadmium in it, cadmium is a pigment that wasn't really started to be used by artists until the mid-19th century. So if you have a Renaissance painting and it has cadmium paint on it, that's, it either means that it's not a real Renaissance painting or there's been some kind of conservation done on that painting. I knew artists would like this. I thought our JPL, NASA, Caltech scientists and engineers would like it too. So you take that. And uh, since we are called God's masterpiece, I'm guessing it, it, it is likely that there are some who are the authentic thing who have come to church here today. And there may be some people who are really not genuine, but kind of look like the genuine things. How do we discern the genuine follower of Jesus from the fake? Wouldn't it be interesting if we had a spiritual XRS device that could come and kind of shine on everybody who shows up at church to help us to see who is real and who is not? Well, believe it or not, we were able to find some of those. So I'm, no, we really haven't. We, we have. But what we do have, what we do have today is Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, which a part of what this great passage does is it helps us to determine whether we are authentic in our walks with the Lord. Because what you have is, and sometimes verses are look at, looked at uh, in, ex, uh, separate from the rest of the whole thing, but the flow of the text, the Apostle Paul helps us to see that there are several characteristics that God uses to help us identify who's a part of the masterpiece. So we're gonna take time to look at that. The text just divides so easily into three parts, verses one through three, and it's one characteristic of the uh, genuine masterpiece, and the second is verses four through nine, and then this great verse in verse 10. So how can we determine whether we here at Lake Avenue Church are authentic followers of Jesus or not? So let's look at it. God's authentic masterpieces first are humble people. Humble people. Owning up to the truth of who we are apart from Christ. All of us, he writes, were by nature deserving of wrath. 
So I'll just tell you one thing that knits all genuine followers of Jesus throughout the centuries and throughout the world right now is that you and I have, we've acknowledged some really bad news about our own lives. Now, as we see the way the Apostle Paul, I love the way he wrote this in verses one through three. I mean, the book of Romans, he took three whole chapters to tell about what's wrong with us. Here he just condenses it down to three verses. It's, it's kind of hard hitting. And to see the way that he writes it, um, there were two kinds of ethnic believers in that church in Ephesus in the first century. The first ones to come to faith in Jesus were the Jewish believers, and the one that followed them were the Gentile believers that when great numbers, I think, were coming to faith there in Ephesus when he wrote this. So as he begins in verse one, he talks about the Gentile believers, and he uses the very language that many Jewish people used about all those Gentiles out there, really negative kinds of language. He says, uh, as for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins and the way you used to live, living after the cravings of your lives, that's the way the Jewish people often characterize the Gentiles. So he's saying that before you came to Christ, you were in trouble. But then what I love is, it's like he stops and he says, it's not just them, is it? All of us, he said, all of us used to live in that way before we came to Christ. So what we find here is that Paul is going to be telling us something that was not just true of Gentile believers, and it was not just true of Jewish believers. This is the human problem. And for all of us who have come to Lake today who are actually human beings, this is our problem too. So what's wrong with us? I, I'm just telling you, when you look at these three verses, it's a tough pill to swallow. He says that you and I and all people apart from Christ are dead, enslaved, and condemned. How do you feel about that? So let's think about it. Apart from Christ, we are all dead to God. You were dead in transgressions and sins. That, that means that when we come to church here this morning, all of us here are physically alive. At least I think we are. And because of that, you and I are aware of all the physical things around us. I mean, our, our senses get at them, what we smell, what we see, what, what, what we hear. These material, physical surroundings, we're alive to them. But it's quite likely that in a gathering like this, some of us have come who are spiritually dead. Uh, the Bible tells us that that is true of all people before we are actually, using Jesus' words, born again and made alive to God. And the reason for this, did you notice the Apostle Paul says we're dead because of our transgressions and sins? Transgressions and sins. And when, when he uses those two words and he puts them right together, it, it means things like this, and you can think about yourself. He says, we all go down paths that we know are the wrong paths. We all cross boundaries that we know we should not cross. Maybe like speed limits, when we, I, won't, I won't meddle, I'll just point that out. He's saying we all do things that we know we should not do and we fail to do things that we know we should do. Bottom line, all of us fall short of living the life that God has created us in his image to live. Those things separate us from a holy God. So, so our transgressions and sins, the word he uses, they may not kill us physically, though sometimes they do that, but they do kill us 
spiritually. They separate us from God. So in saying this, that we're dead to God apart from Christ, it doesn't mean that people who don't know the Lord Jesus are not interested in spiritual things because we are made in God's image. And so all of us intuit that there has to be more to this than just a material, physical world, this empirical world, that we intuitively believe that. But the problem is, apart from Christ, we don't know God is our personal Heavenly Father. So, so today, in a gathering like this, almost certainly, there are some people who spiritually are corpses. Sort of look around you. You may be sitting next to a spiritual corpse right now. You may be one. And the Bible passage we come to today, a part of what I think the Apostle Paul is trying to do is to help us discern whether you and I really are spiritually alive or not. And apart from faith in Jesus, we are dead. And that's the first part of the problem. And it's compounded by the second. We're not only dead, we are enslaved. So that this physical part of us uh, may not be alive to God, but I'm telling you, it is very much alive to all these things out here in the world. And many things in this world are drawing us toward a way of life that we know is wrong that just keeps us there in bondage. Uh, to what are we alive? Well, Paul mentions these three enslaving enemies. In verse 2a, the ways of this world. Verse 2b, the devil, whom he calls the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And three, our own flesh, our own human nature, gratifying the cravings that are inside us of our own spiritual nature. I, I'm just telling you, the world, the devil, and the flesh, whew, trying to keep us in bondage and making sure we don't live well. That's quite a powerful trio, don't you think? And the, the effect of all this operating in our lives is that we may wake up in the morning really wanting to live good lives. Most people, when they get up in the morning, want to even live using the religious language that Paul used in Ephesians 1.4. We want to live lives that are holy and blameless, but we can't do it. We, we keep falling short. And this is true not just to those people out there in the world who never show up at church. And, and so many times I hear this, oh yeah, uh, yes, certainly there are some really bad people out there in the world like Hitler. I'm not as bad as that. But, but Paul says, no, all of us, it's all of us. We're dead to God because of our sins. And he says, now we have no power within our own imperfect physical, mental, or emotional strength to be able to change things. Dead and in bondage. And that's the third part. Apart from Christ, we're condemned. We were by nature deserving of wrath, verse 3. Now here you gotta be with me because what I'm gonna say is not a popular message here in Southern California. Even for some who go to church, it's, it's this message about hell. Hear me out right now. Evil must be punished if we will have a good and just world. Most people, when they think about it, agree with that statement. They may not at first blush, but they do because I hear it all the time. Whenever an injustice is done to me, we want to make sure that one who did the injustice is punished for doing that thing that is wrong. I hear it in the media all the time, trying to find out what happened long ago, making sure that evil is dealt with. And I'll tell you, God, who is just and holy, has said, I will make sure that my world, when I am done, justice will reign 
evil will be punished. My wrath will be poured out against everything that is evil. But are you beginning to see what the problem is for us? If, if we've all engaged in transgressions and sins, that means that on our own, we're in danger. I mean, eternal danger. The wrath of God will be poured out against those. Condemnation. You see, that's, that's who we are apart from Christ. Think of it. Dead, enslaved, and condemned. What a mess we are in. So as Paul begins, just think about this. As Paul begins this, this beautiful passage of his word that says we are his masterpiece, he begins to tell us the raw material that God is going to start with, <laughs> the kind of paint he's going to use to make the masterpiece. And it's pretty messed up paint. He, he has chosen to, to use people like us to actually make a masterpiece out of that will declare his glory in these worlds. And here's the point I want to make. All of us who are authentically following Jesus have owned up to these problems. We all know that on our own, I mean, we have no hope. And because of that, the authentic follower of Jesus, the authentic masterpiece of God is always a humble masterpiece. Are you with me here? We can never be proud. You can't just look down and say, oh, those lazy people out there, they've gotten themselves in that mess. It's their, those people are in prison. They got themselves into that. Well, yes, maybe they did, but so have we, he says. We're in the very, very same place. So let me say now as clearly as I can, unless we as a church are humbled by the reality of our own sin and our desperate need of mercy, we will never become the kind of church that God wants us to be. We will never welcome all those that Jesus died for and that God adopts into his family. The, the humility that comes from owning up to our own condition without Christ is the quality that will begin to enable us to become God-glorifying people and a God-glorifying church. If you're looking for a genuine Christian, humility, humility is the first trait of that. And there's a second evidence as well. It's in verses four through nine. Authentic masterpieces of God are always grateful people. Rescued by God's grace through faith in Christ, God made us alive in Christ even when we were dead. So as you read this, I tried to, as we were reading it together, to try to indicate this. Verse three ends with hopelessness, right? Dead, enslaved, condemned. Verse four, if you could just read it in the original, it just kind of shouts out, but God. We need help, but God. God is able to make a difference in your life. God is ready to make a difference in your life. He has done something that can change things. I'm just telling you, in these deeply moving verses that go from verses four to nine, the Bible tells us what was in God's heart, why it is that God chose to make available to us something we could never end, uh, earn, something that, that we could never bring about on our own. Verse four simply tells us, just hear it again. Because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive. So I'm gonna declare something again on the authority of God's word. I did it last week, but I don't think I can do it too often. 
No matter what is there in your background, no matter how much you have failed, no matter what you have brought with you in the church this week from last week, I declare to you on the basis of his own word, God loves you with an everlasting love. And he is, has done something that can change things in your life. What has he done? We were dead. Rescue action number one. He makes dead people alive. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. Uh, this word, made us alive, is what Jesus was talking about when he talked about being born again. It's what I was just talking about a few moments again. And the point that he's making here is on the physical side, mothers, you know this very well, <laughs> uh, children can't conceive themselves, right? They can't give birth to themselves. And the same thing is true spiritually. We were dead. Dead things can't make themselves alive. But God was ready to do something for us that we can't earn and that we don't deserve. And the word that the Bible uses for that is grace. Do you love the word? A number of times in this text, it is by grace you've been made alive. It is by grace that you have been rescued. I'll tell you, you start seeing it made alive some things begin to change. And I, look inside your own soul as I say these things. So when you are made alive through faith in Jesus, um, you read the Bible and it's no longer a book to you. But you're hearing your father's voice speaking to you. Does that ever happen to you? You, you go to a sermon and it's no longer a speech. Somehow it's God encouraging you, teaching you about himself, teaching you about how to live. And especially Jesus will no longer just be a good man or a religious teacher. He'll be your Lord. He'll be your rescuer, your, your savior. God makes you alive to a whole world that before you sort of knew it was there but were never alive to. What else does he do? Rescue action number two. He takes enslaved people and raises us up. God raised us up with Christ Jesus, chapter 2, verse 6. So here's the way that sort of plays out. When you truly come alive to God, you begin to see working, awakening inside yourself. I'll call it new moral desires. You, you just want to please God. You want, you want to honor him. And what you begin to see is what I'll call some new moral strength. The things that you tried to break on your own, you're going to begin to seize a new strength, a new moral capability that wasn't there before. And I, I've got to tell you, it doesn't happen as fast as I would like to have it happen, right? But the, the biblical images of growth, it, it takes time to grow and, and the Spirit of God begins to work and here within the life of the church, it, but it should begin to happen as you walk with him. One of the surest ways that you know you're really alive to God is you'll begin to see these, these beginning buds of life making some progress in your knowledge of God and your love of God and of his family and your readiness just to say, Lord, if that's what you'd have me to do, that's what I want to do. My life is no longer mine, it's yours. What else does God do? Rescue action number three, condemned. He takes condemned people and seats us in victory. No, notice this, he seated us. It's in the past tense there in verse 6. We're already 
in a place where we cannot be condemned. <laughs> and we say, yeah, but I keep doing these sorts of things. And God says, but you don't know me. The way I'm going to do this work in your life is that I'm going to make you so that there will be no condemnation anymore. I already see you that way through Christ. It's already as if it's done. It, it's the same thing you read about in Romans chapter 7 and 8. Do uh, you know that section where the Apostle Paul is looking at himself and saying, why is it taking me so long to get better? The very things I don't want to do, those are the things I do, and the things I do, those are the things I shouldn't be doing. <laughs> you ever felt like that? And then he says, ah, oh, I'm in Christ. And then he just shouts out, kind of like Jeremy's song, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thought, I thought I'd get a hallelujah on that. We, we should get one of those. And it's only because of Jesus. I mean, he, again, is the only one who lived the life we should be living, but we don't and, and can't. And, and then he bore the punishment for our sins in our place. When we're in him, we're alive to God. We begin to be raised out of bondage, and all condemnation is taken away. And we can't earn it. We just receive by faith what he has done. It is not by us working and earning it like in so many other religions. It's just responding to his work in the Lord Jesus. So I'm going to just tell you these two verses. I hope you've memorized them. They are so beautiful and so powerful. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It, has been gr it is by grace that you have been saved. Through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It is not by works, lest anyone should boast. No boasting in heaven. So when we get to heaven, you can't say, ha, I'm here and my spouse isn't. I'm better. You can't say that. There's no boasting in heaven. All that we can say is, yes, Lord, I place my faith in Jesus. And then we say, thank you. Thank you for your gift of grace purchased by the precious blood of my Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, the foundational change that God's grace brings about in us the thing that redirects everything else is that it takes away boasting and replaces it with gratitude. Uh, those of us who know that our salvation required the death of the sinless Son of God, I, we can no longer be proud. What that means is that genuine churches are never grouching, griping churches. They are grateful churches. How are we doing in that? How are we doing in that? So we have work in progress, amen. So we have, number one, humble people. Masterpieces, two, are grateful people. And number three, masterpieces are serving people. Doing good works together with others who are being created in Christ Jesus. We are God's masterpiece. All of this has pointed in this direction. Now you see, we now become God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So at last, in verse 10, we see the purpose for which God rescues us and places us together in this family. He does so because he loves the world that he made. 
And he wants to place something beautiful into the communities of the world that he loves, something that would point to him, something that will show people something of his mercy and of his love and of his grace, his eternal plan. You see, he prepared it beforehand, it says, to do. His eternal plan has been to place a church like this one there in Ephesus was in the first century. And we are right here in Pasadena. For them, a church made up of people as different as Jew and Gentile were. For us to be as different as all the people that God is bringing to Pasadena, he brings us into one body and he makes us people who acknowledge, oh, we need you, Lord. There's no hope for us, humble, grateful people. Thank you, Lord. Now serving people who show the love of God to one another and to the world that he has put us in. It's a way of life. It's a way of life that Jesus lived and he told us to live. Do you remember what Jesus said? Mark chapter 10. You had these disciples. They were complaining among themselves. Which one of us is going to be the greatest when he gets into Jerusalem and sets up his kingdom? Which one of us has been the really good one? Who's going to get to be on the right and the left? Do you remember that story? Do you remember what Jesus said to them? He turned to them and he said, those regarded as leaders in this world lord their authority over their people. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's, that's what Jesus said. Now, do you remember what Jesus did for his followers the night before he was going to go and actually be killed on our behalf? He washed their feet. And then he said, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me master and teacher, and rightly so, because that is who I am. So now that I, your master and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. See, th this is the life of service that is at the heart of what Paul, Paul talks about here in verse 10, that we have been created for good works. We are not saved by good works. We are saved for good works. We've been created by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ to serve one another and then to go out into this world and serve people as Jesus has served us. This is the purpose God has eternally had for us here at Lake Avenue Church. So when people say, what's the purpose of, of God doing all of this? It's not just so that we can go to heaven. That's the way we often talk, and it is that for that. Thank you, Lord. But there's something else. He says, I have saved you. My eternal purpose was to put you into this world so that you would do good works that show people my love for them, my compassion for them, so that we serve one another within the church family and we serve one another and love people in the world and we go out and look for the needs that are out there. And then when God gives us resources, we use them to show the love of Christ. This is the heart and soul and daily way of life of a genuine follower of Jesus. 
So I'm ready to put these 10 verses together. Ready to listen? (laughs) Okay. A genuine masterpiece of God is number one, characterized by humility. When we live as if we don't desperately need the mercy of God ourselves, then we look down on others who are different from us. But when God's grace meets us, we get our identity by what? By looking up to the one, the only one who could boast, who lived a sinless life. And when we look up at him, what do we see him doing? Philippians 2, 5 through 11 becoming a servant for us, going to a cross for us. And that too makes us so grateful for his grace that we simply ask in our gratitude, Lord, how would you have me live? And three, he says, I've saved you so that you will make my glory known. And you make it known by loving and serving in the ways that Jesus has loved and served you. Just start right here in the church. And then it flows from here out into this world. So I've I've thought, what does this way of life look like? Don't you think it it calls for sort of a fundamental different way of starting every day? Uh, We we just kind of get up in the morning and say, what do I want to do today? We got to get up in the morning and say, Lord, my life is yours. And you placed me here to do good works. Lord, help me to see how that might be done. Help me to see people the way you see them and to have a willingness to use what I've claimed as my own that really you've just entrusted to me to make your glory known. Well, what does that look like? Well, I've been asking people all week and uh, on my Facebook page, uh, one, uh, Dave Packer sitting right here in the third row, I shouldn't point you out, David, so everybody ignore that right now. Dropped me, dropped me a note this week and uh, this, is so good. He just talks about a, a daily way of life. David, I'm sure we can't do all this every day, but just the way of looking at the world. And he wrote, my main goal each day is to be an encourager for those I see daily or weekly. I try to do so daily with those in the leasing office where I live. A word of encouragement, a smile, a prayer, Definitely, I should be a good listener. Help others with chores, volunteer at a care facility, visit a shut-in, be with someone to support them as they go through the grief journey, or send a card, text, or email. I seek to do these things with the goal in mind to glorify God and to thank Him for His grace by caring for others. Do you know theologians have called this over the many years the inner effect of the gospel that flows into the outer effect of the gospel? The inner effect of the good news from Jesus is that he forgives us and begins to set us free from those sins and transgressions. And that then has this outer effect that we are able to go out and still touch and bless the lives of people in this world. We are to live lives with these good works in the world while we don't engage in the sins of the world. Does a life like that sound like anybody to you? Now, now this is my usual question. Who does it sound like? (laughs) This is the life of Jesus, isn't it? 
came here and engaged with this world without engaging in the sin of the world. So it talks to us about developing a way of life in which more and more that becomes us. And let us remember that the main thing is that that is to be all of us. The masterpiece is not so much a message to us individually, though that's a part of it. It's what Lake Avenue Church should actually look like. We should be God's masterpiece when we as different as they were in Ephesus, Jew and Gentile, become one family in Christ. And I'll tell you, one of the main things that I find that ties us together is when we actually serve one another. Have you ever noticed that? That when you serve alongside one another, some common task sort of bonds your life together in a very, very beautiful way. So when, when you come to church, I think it should start here. When you come to church, I just want you to, to, to come and sort of say, Lord, I, there must be some spiritual corpses in here, but it doesn't matter if they're physically alive, I want to serve them. And if they're my brothers and sisters, I want to serve them and to serve alongside of them. The Bible says that this life of good works is what God has created us to be engaged in. Ephesians 4, we're going to see that it, he uses the body image rather than an art masterpiece. And he says, we're like a body and every sinew, every muscle, every body part works together and together we all grow strong and bring, bring glory to God. And it happens as we learn to serve and it starts as we serve one another. So I've got to ask you, have you found your place of serving here in your church family? I look around, some of you are serving in way too many places. You're trying to be many, many body parts. I, I, we want to set you free a little bit. And some have said, I've looked, but I'm not quite sure where to begin. And, and, and we've decided as pastors, we want to try to help today. So if you look in the worship folder, you will see. I, I've asked all of our pastors to say, identify where the, some of the places where some real blessing can happen in the life of our church, where there are opportunities and needs. I hope you'll look through those and pray through those and maybe the Spirit of God will say, hey, there's one. There's a place where you can serve. And we've even put tables up in the lobby with some of our pastors and leaders there just to talk with you. We're not gonna try to nail you down or make you sign on a dotted line, at least I don't think so, <laughs> unless you already know you want to be, but just the opportunity to say, if that's what you've made me for, and if that's what you put me here in the body for, Lord, I wanna be there to bring glory to your name. So if we're a big masterpiece of God planted here in Pasadena and some of us aren't serving, what does that look like? It's kind of like an art masterpiece that has a big hole in it there somewhere. So I, I put a, a, a picture up here. It's, it's like the uh, Mona Lisa, but, but there are pieces missing here. There's at least one big one. How would you like that? And, and if... If you're a genuine follower of Jesus and you've been created to serve within the body and you're not, that's, we've got a hole. And I pray you'll find your place of filling it. Our coordinator, I was talking about this and this illustration of, of a puzzle with a jigsaw piece missing. Nancy Smith, our coordinator of Connecting Ministries, mentioned it to me. And then she wrote this, put it up here. If any one of us doesn't serve, then the body of Christ is missing a piece of the puzzle, God's masterpiece. Our talents and gifts aren't for our own benefit, but for the benefit of others. We need each other to complete the picture. And it is a joy to serve alongside people who have figured that out, amen. So from singing to discipling, from praying to greeting, 
All gifts can be used to show God's love and to bring people into the kingdom. Pray about how God would have you to respond to that. So the evidences that we are a part, an authentic part of God's masterpiece are these. One, humility, because we have owned up to our own condition without Christ. Two, gratitude, because God, knowing our condition, loved us anyway. <laughs> and he, he has given us grace, no condemnation, freedom from slavery, made alive to him. And three, the gratitude always flows out into lives of service that reflect the very ways of Jesus and bring blessing to others. Are those true of you? Are they true of us? Where are we in this as a church? Let us become who we are created to be. God's creative masterpiece doing good works that bring blessing to our world, joy to our own lives, and most certainly, glory to God. Amen. 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 Let me lead us in prayer. Father, take this, your word. If there are some who come and have recognized they aren't really alive to you, haven't truly turned our lives over to you and placed faith in Jesus, Father, today, I pray, will be their day of salvation. Father, for many of us, who though we have turned our sins over to you and found forgiveness and placed our faith in Jesus, still keep going back to look, looking at people the way that the world looks at people without the humility that, that is created when we recognize that we have received mercy. Father, give us your eyes. Give us your heart. And then lead us, Father, to those places where we should serve and bring your blessing to this world. For this we pray only in the name of Jesus.